you can stand now as we read God's Word, as we move into uh, the time where we're going to look into God's Word in the sermon. Uh, if you have your Bible, we're reading from Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 38. It'll be up on the screen if not. In 38 it says this, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. As you do, um, if you are new here, maybe it's your first time at Trailview or you've been coming a little bit, inside of your chair, on your chair, not inside, that'd be weird, you couldn't get it, um, on your chair, uh, there's a little blue card uh, on the back side, it's green, it's a connect card. We would love if at some point during our worship gathering, whether that's now or in the songs we sing afterwards or at some point, if you wouldn't take a few moments uh, and fill that card out, we'd love to connect with you sometime in the next week or two uh, to tell a little bit of our story, how we got to planting Trailview Church here to reach people who need Jesus in the South Fort Worth suburbs of Burleson, Crowley, Joshua, this whole area. Uh, and, and then also, we'd love to hear your story, how you got here. Maybe the Lord might just be doing a supernatural work in you to unite you with Trailview on that same mission to be a church that reaches people in our community. And so we'd love to connect with you, fill that card out if so. Uh, also on the back side is a prayer card. If there are things happening in your life, which I'm confident there are, uh, that you would like or don't want to but should, uh, let us in on. Uh, we would love to, as your pastors, to pray with you that God would answer, would move powerfully in those things. And so uh, there's no limit to the things that God can do or our desperate needs. And so that prayer card's a really helpful way that we can join you in praying for things. And so uh, there's a couple things you can do with that card. You can either drop it in the black box in the back, which is on that little table in the back on your way out. You can bring it directly to myself or Pastor Brandon, who's leading us in worship this morning. Or you can do it digitally with the little QR code that's on the bottom corner of either side of that card. Uh, we'd love to connect with you at some point in the next week or two and uh, get to know you, share your, our story with you, have, some have a coffee or whatever it may look like. So um, as we continue through the Gospel of Mark, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been a part of an exclusive club? Maybe? Maybe not? Sam's Club? Hey, you gotta pay. <laughs> Sam's Club, I'm a member. I didn't think about that. Hey, I'm a part of a club. I feel cool now. Just kidding. Um, you ever been a part of an exclusive club? Maybe it was something at school. Uh, I know I was not that kid in the GT club, gifted and talented in, high, in, in elementary. And I was like, I was like, why? I'm gifted. I'm talented. Why can't I be in the club? That's where all the smart, cool kids go. And they do cool stuff. I don't know what they do, but apparently it's cool because it's a club that I'm not a part of. And it's always grass is greener on the other side in the exclusive clubs. I don't know if you travel a lot. Maybe you go into airports. And you walk through the airports and you see the clubs that people who have club access get to go to. And it looks boring and basic, but I don't know. I imagine you walk through there and there's like a bowl of candy on the door and it just gets better beyond that bowl of candy. You go around the corner and there's got to be some elevator or escalator or like chocolate fountain or something amazing because it's a club. And exclusive clubs are meant to have amazing things that you don't get to participate in unless you're a part of the exclusive club, right? 
Uh, I'm not a part of, apparently, except for Sam's Club. It's a great one. You get to pay more money or less money, depending on how you use your Sam's Club. And you get to pay to be there. Most clubs do cost something. Uh, it, it, there's this aspect of the same that comes with exclusive clubs. One, there's like a, a desire to be a part of them because if you're a part of the exclusive club, then like you're special and there's special benefits to being a part of the exclusive club. But what about when you're not a part of the exclusive club? You're like, I'm just the boring guy who has to share the outlets on the wall in the airport hallway because I'm not a part of the cool club. There's an aspect to where, as the Gospel of Mark we've been walking through continues to unfold, uh, Mark set out to, uh, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, to record the story of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, the testimony he most likely heard from Peter, Jesus' disciple, who shows up multiple times along the story, um, and as he writes his gospel, uh, which we're walking through as a church until we get to Advent, uh, as we've walked through, Mark's whole center aim is to unveil to us Jesus, that we would behold Jesus, that we would see him for who he is. And he starts at the beginning and makes the declarational statement that he is the son of God. And we've seen two more moments where he's uh, had people say, you are the son of God. And typically those followed by some dumb, foolish act by the person who said that. This isn't that much different today, uh, where there's a declarative moment of he is the Son of God, you are the Christ, followed by something foolish. Peter starts that trend off by then going, no, you can't die. And Jesus says that famous, get behind me, Satan, adversary, you're trying to keep me from doing what I came to do. Um, and, and as the story continues to unfold, uh, we look today in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 41, to see a little bit more of Jesus, to see a little bit more of the kingdom he came to establish as king by faith, a kingdom that has no borders, that has no bounds, that rules and reigns in the hearts of those who have faith in Jesus across all time, across all space. And so as we walk through this story, we got one point today. Super simple, super simple, one point from this entire thing. So if you're taking notes, you're going to take notes along the way. Uh, the point of this, mo this morning's sermon is this. We are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. So as we look through this story, and this conversation Jesus started around a silly argument while walking along the way with the disciples. If you want to go look at that or listen to that sermon last week, um, go do it. Now, if a silly argument, who's the greatest? The seeds of that root level area of, of desire to be great still uh, existing in the hearts of at least John, if not the rest of the disciples, are on display still as Jesus teaches them a little bit more about who he is, about his people, about his kingdom, and that point being that we are one in Christ. So let's begin walking through this story. We'll start in verse 38. And John, the beloved disciple, this is like the guy who got to see Jesus on the Mount Transfiguration just shortly ago. This is John, the uh, beloved disciple who's at the cross of Jesus. None of the other disciples are there, at least as far as we know. The testimonies don't say they are. This is John, the beloved disciple, who's entrusted with the care of Jesus' mother after he died, Mary. This is John who writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. This is the beloved disciple John. John said to him, Jesus, who's sitting in a teaching posture, Teacher, we saw someone cast out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. So what's going on here? 
So previously to this moment, um, the disciples have been empowered by Jesus, sent out at least the 12, uh, most likely the 12 and the 72, to go throughout all of the villages preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God that is at hand and casting out demons and healing people. Just two sermons ago, if you want to look back, or if you want to look back early in chapter 9, they come across somebody coming down from the Mount Transfiguration who's possessed by a demon, or his son is, that they cannot cast out. They've done it before. It's not working this time. Now John brings up this whole uh, exercising demons thing again with Jesus as him and the disciples are having this teaching conversation in this house in the city of Capernaum. And John says, hey, Jesus, I got a question. Uh, there was this time when we were out and there was this guy who was casting out demons in your name. And we told him, hey, you can't do that because you're not one of us. This is the club statement. You can't cast out demons in the name of Jesus because you're not a part of the club. You can't use Jesus' trademark. You're not a part of the club. He's like the copyright police. We're like, you can't use that song. You can't show the Super Bowl on more than a 100-inch screen without paying a bunch of money. He's the trademark police. No, 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 you're not a part of us. You can't cast out demons in Jesus' name. He misses the fact that the demons are actually cast out. Like, that's a pretty big deal. Like, it's not like this guy who's just going out and frivolously throwing out Jesus' name, hoping something cool happens. That happens later in Acts with... Peter or with Paul, where this guy, this magician, tries to cast out a demon and the demon talks back. Probably a pretty terrifying moment. <laughs> He's like, Get out of him. And the demon's like, Who are you? Literally says, Jesus, I know, even Paul, I know, but I don't know who you are. This guy, whoever it is, we don't know, is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And John and, and the disciples, most likely, collectively together, at least a few of them, try to tell him, hey, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. All based on the reasoning that he's not following them. This guy is not one of them. He's not a part of the club. You see, the heart-level issue here is that John is drawing lines between the disciples and others. John is drawing lines that Jesus doesn't draw. We know that because of the way the rest of the story goes. But he's drawing lines dividing this person who's using the name of Jesus to cast out demons from them, us, the disciples. That he's living and acting with an exclusivity attitude towards others. You can't do that. You're not a part of us. Attitude. With this, you're not one of us. We're better than you. We have exclusive rights to use the name of Jesus to do miracles. I can't help but imagine this doesn't fall directly in line with John's insistent, happens on repeat, desire to be great. You can't do great things because I don't want to do great things. And if you do great things, people think you're great, not me. Which they were just arguing about greatness right before this. That John, his, his heart is showing in his conversation with Jesus, in this example, in this story. His heart is showing that he has uh, divided lines and established walls in his heart between him, 
us, the disciples, including Jesus in that group, and others unable to. The issue with this is that Jesus draws no such lines. That Jesus is an inclusive, arms open wide, all who believe in me, Savior. All who believe in me can have eternal life. How does Jesus respond to John? How does he respond to John in this moment? In verse 39 through 41, it it shows us. Jesus is taking this opportunity to patiently, kindly, gently teach his disciples about who he is and about his kingdom and about his people. He says in verse 39, But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon after to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. You see, Jesus, he tells them, don't. Don't stop people from doing amazing things for my glory because they're not a part of our crew. Jesus does something here in teaching a little bit about this guy. He unveils to us a little bit about this guy's heart. So, so he tells him, don't stop him from doing a mighty work because of something. Because he would not be able to do a mighty work in the name of Jesus and then soon later speak evil of Jesus. Um, Jesus teaches his disciples this truth. He says that you will know them by, by their fruit. And so what Jesus is saying in this whole interaction with John and the disciples, all they're listening is, is that this man whom was casting out demons in the powerful name of Jesus, wasn't doing it aimlessly, wasn't doing it out of some magician's kind of tip, wasn't trying to mock or copy the disciples or Jesus. But this man had faith in Jesus, that he was a disciple of Jesus. Because if he wasn't a disciple of Jesus, he wouldn't be able to do this and then speak evil against Jesus. That Jesus says in this moment, this man's heart is either for Jesus and his church, or his heart is against Jesus and his church. That that his heart is not divided between. His heart is not fickle and bouncing from, hey, I'm on Jesus' team, to, hey, I'm enemy of Jesus. Jesus and the good of others and It's visible by the works that he's done in the name of Jesus. That this man would not be able to do these things and then speak hypocritically or contradictory to the name of Jesus. And then there's the punchline. The one who is not against us is for us. And this isn't a uh, a statement where Jesus is saying, like, hey, if they're not like trying to hurt you, then they're your friend. Or that there's some neutral category. That Jesus is 
drawing a different line than John. John's line is, you're not a part of our crew. Jesus' line is, you're either for or against me. And here's the true nature of the situation for all of us. Either we are for Jesus, our hearts are for Him, for His glory, for His church, or our hearts are against Jesus. There's no neutral ground. There's no middle ground. That we are either for Jesus and His glory, or we are against Jesus and His his glory. Either we are enemies of God, and as enemies working for our glory, our recognition, our greatness, disciples, or we are children of God, citizens of His kingdom, servants and followers of Jesus for His glory, for His name, for His church. That Jesus is saying here, that man whom you told to stop is on your team. That he's not your enemy. He's on your team. I have a a couple friends of mine uh, who are, uh, they're in the process of starting a business partnership kind of thing. It's kind of, it's a, it's a ministry partnership business kind of thing. Uh, And they've beautifully, intentionally named it Common Hill. Um, They've named it Common Hill because the whole vision behind the whole thing is we're all working towards the same thing. So let's actually work together. Specifically talking about the church or the many little churches in our area. We're all working towards one goal, up one hill, in one battle, in one fight for the name and glory of Jesus across the earth. So let's work together in common effort towards one goal. His glory. His church. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He's speaking gently into John and saying... No, that person whom you wanted to draw lines and exclude is actually your brother. Not your enemy. Not your competitor. But your ally. Your partner. Your brother. Your sister. Working towards one goal. The same goal. The glory of Jesus across the earth. Jesus' whole point here is to establish in, in, in the hearts and minds of His disciples that anyone who trusts in the name of Jesus is on your team. Not a competitor. Not against you. They're for you. They're for His glory. And they're for you. This whole point that we are one in Christ. If 
you've confessed Jesus as Lord, then you are one in Christ. One what? For all of those who've confessed Jesus as the Christ, believed in Him as the Son of God sent to come and live perfectly without sin for your righteousness, to freely give it to you by faith, to die in your place on the cross, to rise from the dead, overcoming death for all those who believe, are a part of something bigger than themselves. Something that's not about their greatness, but it's about the glory of Jesus. That we're united under one name, the name of Jesus. One people, one church, one bride, bought by His blood for His glory. And in a world that's drawing lines left and right, drawing lines on our political views, drawing lines on our educational pathways or ways of educating our children, drawing lines on anything that we can draw lines about, we pretty much do. That if I can have an opinion and find mine better, greater, keeping in theme, than someone else's, I'm going to draw a line in it. That's how we carry ourselves. That's what, we're sh- that's, what, that's what the world is saying do. That's what we're sharing on social media oftentimes is line-drawing messages, dividing people against other people. And Jesus here in this moment is saying, there's one thing that unites my people under one name. Jesus, one thing, one people, Jesus, that we are one in Christ. And there's massive implications of this across the board. There's massive implications for us as Christians if we really are one in Christ. And I just want to walk through four of those. So if you're taking notes, we're going to walk through four implications of this truth that Jesus wants us to see that we are one in Christ. That those who have faith in Jesus are for us, not against us. We're on the same team. That in this room, if you are a fellow believer in Jesus, you and I are brothers and sisters, members of the same body, for one another's good, for the glory of God. We're on the same team. As we, uh, last night, uh, I drove by three or four different churches on our way home from doing some things. And uh, in light of this sermon, um, just had this sense of like, man, God, would you move powerfully in the Crowley Assembly of God Church as they gathered tomorrow morning? As we drove by the Burleson Church of Christ, God, would you move powerfully in the Burleson Church of Christ this morning? As I drove by this building, God, would you have moved powerfully? <laughs> This morning uh, in the Seventh-day Adventist here in Crowley. Why? Because we are one in Christ. One. So here's those four implications we're going to walk through. The first one, we are one in Christ and we have one king. We have one king. No one is king but Jesus. That we are one in Christ and we have one king. I'm not king. You're not king. 
Our way is not king. Our convictions are not king. Jesus is king. He is Christ, Savior, Lord, King of the kingdom. He is the one who came to establish that kingdom, which will have no end, no borders. That kingdom that rules in the hearts of men and women by faith. He is the one who came and established that kingdom in His life, death, and resurrection and opened wide its doors to all who would believe. We have one King. Jesus. My desires are not King or more important than Jesus. My way, my preferences... My desires are not king over anyone else's. Jesus is king. It's helpful for us to stop for a moment and just pause and go, we are one in Christ and we have one king, Jesus. God, would you bring my heart in line with Jesus as king? That what he wills and desires would be my desires. that His glory as King would be my aim, would be my pursuit. Not my will, my glory, my desires. That we have one King, all people in Christ across all time, space, and history. In this room and out of this room, gathered in other places around our community, we have one King, Jesus. And we bow to no one but Him. Jesus. The second thing. We have one confession. Jesus is the Christ. We have one confession. Jesus is the Christ. We got a lot of convictions. (laughs) There's a lot of things we think are super important, and a lot of them are very important. There's probably no one, maybe, at least lean on it, who has more deeply entrenched theological convictions about who God is than me in this room. I could be wrong, but I got a lot of them. None of them should be more important than this one. This one confession that unites us, this one confession that dethrones you and I as kings and queens and crowns Him as the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. That confession is why and and, and how we are saved from the eternal wrath of God. Confess Him as Lord and Savior and receive eternal life. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not confessed all the rest of mankind before you. They would put their faith and trust in Jesus under the full weight of the wrath of God for your sin. You sit in the place of enemy, but God in His mercy and grace sent Jesus so that you might find and have eternal life by confessing Him as Lord and believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. It's that confession that not only 
brings us the free gift of grace and eternal life and forgiveness of sin, but it's also that confession that is the foundation cornerstone of God's people, the church. This happened in just a few chapters back. Peter, on your confession, Jesus is the Christ. You are the son of the living God. On that confession, I will build my church. The foundational confession of us as one people in Christ is that Jesus is the Christ. Is that your confession? Is that the most significant confession that you hold? Are you most concerned about that confession in the hearts of people you know who don't trust in Jesus or their conformity to your other convictions? Do do you and I hold in first priority the confession of Jesus as Christ in our neighbors? Or that they would think like me, act like me, believe like me, do like me? Or that they would confess Christ? The third thing, the third implication of us being one in Christ is that we are one people. That we are one people. That in Christ we are one people. This guy who cast out a demon in Jesus' name and John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, are one people. You and I are one people with John and this guy who cast out a demon by faith in Jesus. You and I in this room are one people by faith in Jesus. We are the church, the body of Christ. By faith in Jesus, we are one people, the church, the body of Christ, His bride, a holy nation, a people bought by His precious blood into His eternal family. We are one church, one church in many places. (laughs) And all who share in that confession of Jesus as Christ and uh, who whom Jesus is their king, are one people. I'll never forget the first time I met Adam Keating, the pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here. I pestered that guy for months. I emailed him, texted him, called him, called their secretary lady. She was so sweet. She thought I was her dentist one time. We had a whole lot of... (laughs) It was great. Uh, Why? We were planting Troview Church and needed somewhere for this part of God's people who are united together as a church together. And Crowley ISD wouldn't rent to anybody. Why? Pandemics. <laughs> and so we, we pestered. I called. I text. We prayed. We prayed like we'd never prayed before the months leading up to Troview Church being planted. I remember we met, he finally called me back. I ended up calling the Seventh-day Adventist headquarters conveniently in Burleson. <laughs> I called him, I was like, hey, I got a really weird question you're probably going to say no to, but, you know, if anything I've, I've learned in the last few months or at the time, six or seven months of planning to plant Trailview is like, just ask. You never know what God's going to do. Kind of like a mantra of mine at the time, just ask. And so I was like, hey, can you give me Adam Keating's cell phone number? <laughs> and they were like, uh... <laughs> Why? 
It's like, uh, here's, here's who I am, here's what we're trying to do, and we need a place to meet in August. Um, and they're like, no, but let me pat you over. And so they pass me to somebody else, who passed me to somebody else, who passed me to somebody else. And they're like, we'll text him. <laughs> so no, they didn't give me his phone number, but they text him. And so the first time I met with Adam, we were walking through the buildings, and he's kind of showing me what they have. Um, and I, I said, Adam, here's, here's my heart. My heart and desire is to be a church that reaches people in this community who no church is reaching and engaging. That the kingdom of God, the glory of Jesus, would expand in this area. That there are people in this area who Jesus is planting Trailview Church to reach. And we need a place to gather. And here's the deal. I told Adam, I said, as a church, you guys are going to reach and engage people that we are not going to reach. You are. As Seventh-day Adventists, you're going to reach and engage a whole town of people in Keene. <laughs> you're going to reach and engage people that we are not going to reach. And praise God for that. Because guess what? We're going to reach and engage people that you're not going to meet and reach. Why? Because God's kingdom is one people that look all kinds of different ways, that do all kinds of different stuff. Some we can convictionally disagree with, but we are one people, one church, one body, in many places for one king's glory, Jesus' glory. And he was like, okay, I get that, I get that. Let me talk to my board. They're probably going to say no, but let me talk to my board. And to this day, still, on our behalf as a church, Adam Keating beats the drum of the mission of God for Trailview Church to meet here. Because he knows we are going to reach and engage people as a young church plant that the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church is not going to reach. And this place sits empty on Sundays. We are one people that I can hug the neck of Adam Keating, Max Dodds, Jason, the other elders, pastors, people who walk throughout this building on Sundays that are not a part of Trailview. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one people with, with, with one king. This way First Peter says it way better than I can. First Peter 2 says this, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his, marvelous, or into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He uses the article A. You are a singular chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are God's people. I'm not first white middle class American. I'm first a chosen son of God, a member of the royal priesthood, a member citizen of his holy nation. I am a person in the people 
of God. We are first people of God. First the body of Christ. First his beloved bride. First his church. Everything else comes second. Or third or fourth or fifth or tenth or twentieth. The fourth thing. We have one king. We have one confession. We are one people And we have one mission. We have one mission. Jesus didn't give the Crowley or Burleson Assemblies of God Church a different mission than Trellview Church. He didn't give the Seventh-day Adventists a different mission than the non-denominational people who are all actually just a different denomination that want to say (laughs) non-denominational. He didn't give the Southern Baptist and the Methodists a different mission. We have one king, one confession, we are one people, and we've been given one mission. The glory of our King Jesus across the earth as we make disciples of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit and those disciples gathered together plant churches till Jesus returns for all of eternity. We have one mission. God has given his one people one mission. And it's wrapped up inside of that First Peter passage. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, for this reason, for this purpose, not tertiary, for this singular, not in priority, but in only purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. To proclaim the glory of our good God who has taken us strangers and orphans, enemies, not a people, given us mercy and made us a people. What is most significant to God's one people? The glory of our one King, Jesus This is something we can never lose sight of. Collectively and individually, we can never lose sight of what is most significant to God's people. The command that He has given us to make disciples of all nations. This Two weeks ago, Rachel and I, um, my my wife, those of you who don't know, we got to go to the uh, North American, so it's like Canada, and there were people from like Australia and all over places, the North American Acts 29 Conference. Uh, we're an Acts 29 church. If you don't know what that is, I'm so excited that we are a part of Acts 29. Let me tell you why. Um, I, I've historically been a part of Southern Baptist churches, love them, grateful for them, um, and am friends with lots of Southern Baptist pastors. 
Um, I've also been to, watched, been to a lot of Southern Baptist gatherings where those, that kind of thing. Uh, and one of the things that I am so thankful about Acts 29 is this. As we gathered as pastors and staff members and wives of pastors, uh, about 1,500 of us gathered together in Denver, um, one of the things that I'm most thankful for Acts 29 is all the things we don't do. <laughs> all the things that are not first. That Acts 29 is focused on one thing, the glory of Jesus across the world by multiplying churches, church planting. That Acts 29 planted, you contributed to this, 100 churches in 2022. Praise God. Like, actually, like, let's praise God for that. I'll clap by myself if you don't clap. <laughs> like, a hundred churches, a hundred embassies of our king, a hundred small groups of the people of God across the world, declaring the excellencies of him who has called them out of darkness and into marvelous light. In 2023, 150 more will be planted across Six continents. I am so thankful and glad that we're a part of Acts 29 because of the unwavering convictional faithfulness to who God is, the glory and centrality of the gospel, and the mission of the church to make disciples and plant churches for the glory of God across the earth. Yes, there's denominational differences. Uh, you see this in... Paul and Apollos. Apollos is a gifted preacher of the gospel in Ephesus, church Paul planted. Paul comes in and Apollos' theology is a little off. Paul's not like, get out of town! <laughs> no. It's like, bro, like, let me introduce you to Priscilla and Aquila. <laughs> Y'all set him straight. Like, like, that's what happens. Uh, I, uh, yes, there are doctrinal, doctrinal differences convictional beliefs that are different between us and other churches in our community. But we are one in Christ. We are for Jesus' glory in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, in First Baptist Crowley, in Grace Church in Burleson, in Life Church. We are for those churches as beacons of the glory of our King. Why? Because we are one. We are one with them. One people. Has, have you lost sight of what's most significant? I can own for myself over the last handful of months, I shared this with a group of guys a few weeks ago, in the minutia of all the stuff that's been going on the last year or so, and then also you can say just forever, um, uh, like it, it can be really easy to lose sight of what's most important. It can be really easy for us to lose sight of the most significant thing, our King Jesus' glory, as we make disciples. As we prayed earlier, it can be really easy to look past Rashad, my neighbor, or Steve, or Mark, it can be really easy to lose sight of what Jesus has called us to as his people. One mission, his glory across the earth 
So for you, what's that mean? Does it mean that you join us on rotation as we pray for other churches in our community? Yeah, I hope so. Does it mean that we work hard to serve our brothers and sisters? To give a cup of water to other brothers and sisters whom we're united to in the name of Jesus? Yes. Does it mean that we give generously towards the hundreds of students at Richard Alley Middle School and the families that they go home to? Yes. Does it mean that we gather as a church to glorify, praise, and lift up the name of Jesus every Sunday? Yes. Does it mean that we work hard to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Yes. Jesus is our one King. We're united in that one confession of Him as the Christ, as one people, one body, His bride, the church, sent out on one mission, His glory across the world.